This year here at the WayBK, we're going to be focusing on the gospel of the kingdom and what it means to be disciples of Jesus. And we're going to be looking at the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, which is actually written by the same author as the gospel of Luke. So it's kind of like gospel of Luke part two. Um, anyway, if you're interested in following along with us, we're going to have a reading plan. And each week we're going to try to do a pod that briefly summarizes some topic that's involved in our reading from the week. So uh, here to start off the year, we're looking at Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, right at the beginning, of course, uh, starting verse 1, going through verse 38. And I want you to look with me at verse 1, uh, sorry, chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Luke here actually says, here's why I even wrote this gospel. He's writing to a guy named Theophilus, which is kind of a fun name. The name Theophilus means um, Theo or Theos, God, and then Phyllis, love. So God lover or lover of God. As far as we know, this was actually a real person who Luke was writing to. But it's also an interesting um, metaphor if you think about it. If you're opening up the Bible, it's probably because you either already love God, you're trying to love God, or you know you're maybe supposed to love God, but you aren't really sure about him, so you kind of want, you want more information. This book is for you. And listen to what Luke says about why he wrote this. He says in verse 3, with this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Luke's saying, bunches of people have written about the gospel, and now I'm doing it. Now, verse 4, he tells us the reason. So that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. Maybe you're sitting there and you've heard some things about Jesus, about the gospel, about uh, God, about what he thinks and what he likes and what he wants and what he doesn't like and stuff like that. The book of Luke was written to help you know the certainty or know for certain what's true, what's real, what's right. Now, this idea of knowing is really important to us as human beings, right? Um the fact that there are bookstores shows that knowing is important to us. The fact that a website um, is actually a noun, Google, shows how much we care about knowing stuff and how much we want information. The fact that websites like Wikipedia exist and the fact that there's so many courses. I mean, just look up the website for your um, local college, even like a junior college, a community college, whatever. Look it up and just notice how many courses are being offered because we as human beings have an understanding that to be able to live an optimum, flourishing human life, we need knowledge and information. And so we seek it out. And probably as you're starting the new year, you've got some kind of resolution about reading more books or going back to school or something like that, or maybe picking up the Bible because you know that you need to know for certain something. The first couple of stories in Luke chapter 1 actually hit on this, and they help us um, by encouraging us to be seekers of knowledge, but also they give us a cautionary warning about how we should define knowledge. The very first story is about a priest named Zacharias, and Zacharias is doing, you know, as priests do, doing priestly duties in the temple, offering incense, etc., etc., and an angel appears to Zechariah. And Zechariah is old. His wife is old. They've never had a kid. They've been great people, but they're just never, never able to have a kid. Um, and so this angel appears and says, hey, 
your prayers have been answered, you're going to have a kid. Actually, it's not even going to be a normal kid. You're going to have a kid who's going to be a prophet, who's going to prepare people for God's arrival, the arrival of the Lord that's been promised in the prophets for centuries. Your son is going to be part of God bringing that to fruition, a part of, of course, spoiler for us. Zechariah didn't know this necessarily, but we know this is about the coming of Jesus. And Zechariah's son, whose name would be John the Baptist, was going to be the one who would get people ready for Jesus. But notice in Luke chapter 1 and verse 18 what Zechariah's hesitation was. In Luke chapter 1 and verse 18, Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? That's how the NIV reads. You may be reading from some other translation that may word this slightly differently that would say something like, How can I know this? How can I know this? And then he goes on to explain, I mean, after all, I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. We shouldn't be having kids. And the angel said, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I've been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. But now you will be silent, not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at the appointed time. Here's what the angel says. All right, here's how you'll know. I'll give you a sign. You want a sign to know how this works? I'll give you a sign. You're going to be mute for the next nine months until you're able to to see this come to fruition. This is kind of rough. I mean, this basically, Zachariah's question is, how can I know this is true? And the angel says, all right, I'm going to give you like a sign, but also kind of a punishment here. Because you don't trust the things that I'm telling you. Now, let's just pause for a second. This was a supernatural experience. This was something radical. This was an angel who was appearing and telling Zachariah about the prayers that he prayed. He's talking to him about prophecy. And bottom line is, Zechariah couldn't believe it. And that's basically what he's saying. This is unbelievable. How can I know? Like, you're telling me this. This sounds unbelievable. How can I know this is true? This is like if you walked up to me and said, hey, man, if you give me your bank account information, I'll put a million dollars in your bank account. Well, that sounds great, but how can I know that you're actually going to do that and you're not going to empty my account? Like, you, you got to do something to prove it. How can I know this? That's the posture that Zechariah is taking here. He's given this great news. But then his question is, how can I know it? I want to just say, a lot of us are skeptical like this toward God and toward God's word. Um, and we may wonder, is that okay or not? Well, I will say, like, God doesn't kill Zechariah. He disciplines him, and he actually gives him a sign, although it's not a very pleasant sign that he gives him to prove it. Um, but you can also see, even though God doesn't, like, destroy him or say, you know what, forget it, I'm going to go to somebody else. While he doesn't get rid of Zechariah, He's definitely not pleased with this kind of posture of, how can I know? Zechariah couldn't believe the words that he was told. That wasn't enough. He couldn't know by believing. There's actually a contrast here later on in the chapter. The same angel goes to uh, Mary, who would become the mother of Jesus, and he tells her, you're going to give birth, and you're going to have a son, and he's going to be the son of God, and he's going to rule on the throne of his father David. But in verse 34, listen to what Mary says in response to Gabriel's equally shocking message that she brings to him. Uh, sorry, that he brought to her. In verse 34, Mary asked the angel, How will this be since I'm a virgin? And you might expect the angel to similarly punish Mary. You know, Zachariah said, How can I know this? How can I be sure? 
okay, fine. You want to, you don't believe my word. You won't be able to say another word for the next nine months. Um, Mary says, how can I know? How will this be since I'm a virgin? You might think punishment, but that's actually not what happens. It's kind of weird. Uh, she gets a little more explanation. And then in verse 37, after a little bit more explanation, the angel says, for no word of God will ever fail. Now listen to what Mary says in response. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. No punishment, no rebuke. He doesn't even get onto her for asking a question. All right, what's the difference? I'm going to suggest you there's two possibilities here. It's not clearly stated in the text, the difference and why God treats them differently. But I'm going to suggest you two reasons, uh, two possible reasons. They're both true generally. And um, maybe it's a mixture of both of them that are true in this story. Or maybe it's one or the other. You can weigh it and test it out. Here's the first thing I'll suggest to you. Perhaps Zechariah had more responsibility than Mary did because he should have known more than Mary did. He was a priest. He was in the temple of God. He knew a lot of things about scripture as he was teaching the people. And Mary, she was just a girl who was living her life. The more you know, the more responsibility you have to believe the unbelievable. There are a lot of things in scripture that are hard to understand and hard to believe. And the fact is, if you know some things about God, you know some things about the gospel, you understand some things, you have a responsibility to push through your doubts and to not have a sort of skeptical spirit of, well, how can I know that Jesus really will return? Or how can I know that the story of Jonah and the fish happened? Or how can I know, well, do you believe or do you not believe? And by the way, God hasn't made you believe without evidence. Zechariah knew the scriptures. Zechariah knew the stories of God's power and his demonstrations of that. Zechariah, even in that very moment, was experiencing a God moment. He had evidence and reason to believe this word. God doesn't make you believe without evidence. But he does expect you to know by believing, which means you may not experience it, you may not see it with your own eyes, but if he gives you enough evidence to make him to prove himself trustworthy, then he expects you to know through faith, and not necessarily know by your own five senses or by your experience or by witnessing something or whatever. Knowing requires some believing, especially for people who should know better by faith. That's one explanation. Zachariah should have known because he was more mature. He had more knowledge. He had more experience, etc. There's actually another thing that I think is actually more likely here. Mary and Zacharias ask two different questions. Zacharias's question is, how can I know? Back to our illustration, if you tell me I'm going to give you a million dollars in your bank account, just give me your bank account info, and I say, how can I know that you're going to do that? If I ask that question, I'm basically saying, I don't trust you. Like, I don't believe you. I don't trust you. I'm not, no, I'm not going to do it unless you prove it to me that I should. And by the way, when it comes to my bank account, that's legit and that makes sense. But did you notice how Mary's question was actually different? Her question wasn't an accusation or a doubt, like Zacharias's question of, how can I know? That's a doubt. That's an accusation of, I'm not sure that you're trustworthy. But Mary's question is different. She doesn't say, how can I know? Or how can I be sure of this? She says, okay, how's this going to work? Because I don't understand. Here's why I think noticing this difference is important. Questions are never bad or never wrong. As a matter of fact, if you're new to the Bible, or even for somebody who's been in the Bible a lot, asking questions saying, I don't understand this, this doesn't really make sense to me, 
That's not wrong. As a matter of fact, God rewards that. You notice Mary asks the question of, how's this going to work? She doesn't say, how can I know? Or I don't think I can trust you, in other words, by the implication. But she just says, how is this going to work since I'm a virgin? And God actually rewards that by giving her further explanation and even giving her someone to go talk to to get some evidence to help support her faith and to help her grow. And you notice that Mary was ready to believe. She wasn't trying to be skeptical. She was curious and she didn't understand and she needed some help. But she wasn't trying to be skeptical because in verse 38, with barely any more explanation of, quote, how this will be, she says, all right, I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. We need to gut check ourselves. Whenever I ask questions, am I asking them because I'm basically accusing God of not being trustworthy? Or am I asking questions because I just need some help and I just want to understand better? And here's the last thought from this this set of stories and the idea here. Zacharias got in trouble because he didn't accept the word of the Lord. Mary's heart when she reveals it at the end of this is that that's all she was looking for may your word be fulfilled this was a difficult word for her to understand an even more difficult word for her to live out and the question is as we start this new year are we ready to accept the word of the lord can we say with mary i am the lord's servant may it be to me according to your word